have some families that will, you know. Anybody else need one? Have one extra here. Okay, uh, let me pray for us as we begin the training time. Let's pray together. Uh, Father, we are uh, grateful for your kindness to us, uh, to give us your son, uh, and for the profound work that he has done already in our lives as individuals, but also as the church. I pray that you would encourage us, Lord. Uh, would you please uh, go before us, especially as we talk about these vows and we think about the implications for taking them in the church, that you would help us to think deeply about how we fit and what you're calling us to do. And so uh, we ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so last week uh, we talked a bit about the membership process for uh, becoming a member at Christ the King. I told you a little bit about the five steps that that will uh, encompass. Uh, Today and probably the next two or three times we gather for training, we're going to go through the membership vows. And first of all, I want to just say I know that it's odd that we take vows. We don't do that a whole lot anymore uh, these days, take vows for things and uh, basically what this means is it is you uh, saying that not only am I connected to Jesus, but because I'm connected to Jesus, I'm also connected to his bride, to the church. And so I make commitments. I commit myself both to him and to her. That's the idea. And the first uh, two, uh, three vows are really about your relationship with Jesus and what what that looks like and you saying, I believe these particular things about him and the way that uh, works itself out in my life. The last two vows are really about your relationship with the church and what that means going forward too. This is a way that we're just upfront and clear with each other about what it means to be a Christian. You know, that, that Christians are both connected to Jesus and to his bride. and We're committed to both. And so what I'm going to do is over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about these vows. Today, we're going to do the first two, which are basically vows about the gospel. Uh, I'm going to look at them. I'm going to give you some things to think about. Of course, uh, there's much more that we could talk about than in a short 20-minute training time. My, my main purpose is to get you just to think about what they mean, because if you become a member of Christ the King, you're going to stand in front of the congregation and say, uh, I promise to do these things, right? And so I'm going to give you some idea of what that means, and I'm also going to give you some implications for what it means as being a member of the church in the way we think about ministry and that sort of thing as well. Just a few things to think about. So let's start with the first one. Uh, the first vow is, you see it written there, do you acknowledge yourself to be sinners in the sight of God, justly deserving his displeasure, and without hope except in his sovereign mercy? All right, so there's a lot here. Uh, the, the main thing that I want to make clear about this vow is that it is uh, a affirming that we believe that we're sinners, okay? That we acknowledge ourselves to be sinners. And I want to be clear that sin is more than just your behavior. It's more than just the way you act, okay? Uh, Jesus made this clear when he was preaching through the Sermon on the Mount, and he said, you heard long ago, uh, the law says, uh, you shall not, for example, commit adultery. But I tell you that if you've looked upon a woman with lust in your eyes, then you've already committed adultery in your heart. So Jesus immediately says, your behavior is just an outward picture of what's going on inside of you. Okay? So he backs it up into our hearts. And then we see in other places, like Ephesians and Romans, that Paul tells us that not only is it just sort of this inward attitude, but it's even deeper than that. It's in our very bones that our nature is sinful as 
people that live in this world. That the fall, that, that sin entered into this world and not didn't just change the way we act, but it changed the very core of our being. That now instead of living our lives as people who are dependent on God, God, I'm going to do what you tell me to do. God, I'm going to submit to you. God, I'm going to follow you. Instead, now our starting place is that we think we're in charge. We've usurped God. We've taken his place. And so the very heart of sin, having a sin nature, is not that you're as bad as you could possibly be. There are people that are worse than you, right? There are people who are worse than me. But what it means is that our nature is always fueled by this attitude that I know what's best for me. I'm going to make my own independent choices in life instead of submitting to God's rule in my life. I'm going to be my own God. I'm going to be my own king. Um, and so uh, when we think about, uh, when we make this vow, do you acknowledge yourselves to be sinners? It's very important for you to realize that um, uh, you don't, uh, you're not a, a sinner because you sin. You're not a sinner because you sin. You sin because you're a sinner. There's something already inside of you uh, that is what wants to be independent of God. Uh, sometimes we use the word total depravity to talk about this, and that just basically means that all of your choices, all of the decisions that you make in life back into your heart, which is going to be determined by your own sinful nature. It's like this. Uh, I've heard somebody say it this once before. If you brought a lion in the room and you gave him a choice of eating a bowl of meat and a bowl of wheat, which is he going to eat? The meat. Every time. Why is he going to eat the meat and not the wheat? Because he's a lion, right? And so when we're born into this world with a sinful nature that craves independence, when we're given a choice of doing something for ourselves or doing something that's for someone else, which choice are we going to make? We're going to make the choice to do what we want because our nature is pushing us toward that. And what this particular... Um, a vow is saying is that the only way that could possibly change is if an outside force changes us, changes what's going on inside of us, because all of our decisions are going to be made through that, through that grid of uh, independence. And the only way that that's going to change is for an outside force to change our independent hearts to dependent hearts. And that's what we mean by uh, hope, no hope except for his sovereign mercy. Our only hope for atonement is the mercy of God. It's God saying, uh, I want you, I claim you, and I'm going to regenerate or change what's going on inside of you that you may be dependent again instead of independent. So here are some implications to think about in terms of the church for that. Okay, If you believe that to be true, if you believe that your insides are rotten, that your heart is sinful above all things, and that you crave to be the king of your own life, Outside of God's mercy, that's not going to change. But with God's mercy, there's lots of possibility. There's some, here's some implications for us to think about as a group, okay, as a community. One, the church is a sinful community. All right? We're not a perfect community. We're not a community that's better than other people. We are all sinners. All right? We all have to start at that point that we realize that we are not good. All right? And there's probably something in you, even as I say that to you, that you think, uh, I'm a little good, right? I do some good stuff. God does change something. Yeah, but, but, the, but the bottom line is that your heart without God's mercy is not good, right? The good that is inside of you only comes as God 
causes it to come to pass. And so we have to begin as a community declaring that to the world. And, and living that way really changes the way uh, we relate to people, right? We don't look down at them, right? We actually look eye to eye to them because we realize we're a mess. Um, we always see ourselves as guilty and deserving punishment. And look at me. This is very important. That doesn't change when you become a Christian. Like, you're still guilty and need, deserve punishment, even though Jesus has rescued you from your sins. Even though he's changed your heart, that's still what you deserve, right? Now, God is in the process of healing you and making you uh, more and more beautiful, sanctifying you over time. But the bottom line is, is that we need God's mercy every day. It's not just, you, you don't just have access to God's mercy to get into the kingdom or to be saved, but you need access to it every single day of your life. You don't just repent when you become a Christian. You repent every day, every moment, right? Because we still see the inner darkness in our own hearts. And so this has huge implications for the way we think about ministering to people, the way we think about ministering to our families, the way we relate to our spouses and our children and all that stuff, because we realize starting point is I'm not a good guy, right? I don't deserve mercy. God gives it to me, and because of that, I can give mercy, okay? And I can show kindness, um, have you ever met somebody that it's just really obvious that they realize this? You know, somebody that just like, you can tell they realize they're, they, they're utterly hopeless without God, but with God, they have lots of hope. There's something about people like that that is so attractive. That they're not making it on their own. They're making it because of this attachment they have to Jesus, right? And so I want you to realize that like, that is an attractive thing to the world for you to admit your faults in a world where people don't admit them. You know, for you to say that I am a mess and I need help in a world where people don't want to say those sort of things. So last implication is that confession, forgiveness, and reconciliation are central to our way of life and must be our default positions as we engage the world and the church. All right, so here's the deal. Lots of people think about the church as a place where you go and you become good and you don't need help anymore. You hear me? And that is not what the church is. The church is a place where we regularly confess that we need help. Where we regularly say, we're a mess, we're screw-ups, we need God's mercy in our lives. That's why we have a confession of sin in our worship. Every worship service we have a confession of sin. Okay, why do we do that? Because we want you to have a confession of sin every day of your life, right? Because that's the starting point for realizing God's mercy and living out of it. Um, and then uh, forgiveness, reconciliation have to be key here, that we don't hold grudges against each other, that we're seeking to be right with people, that if we feel like we're sideways with someone, that we want to try to deal with that, right? We don't want to leave that hanging. We don't want to make assumptions. We want to try to confess our sins to ask for forgiveness, and to give forgiveness because that's what Jesus has done for us. So that's what, those are some of the implications of this vow for you. If you take it, you have to realize, like, this is what I'm, like, um, bonding myself to, to this idea that I am a sinner and I need help, and I'm going to live that out in the church. That's the first vow. Second vow, uh, do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as the Son of God and the Savior of sinners, and do you receive and rest upon him alone for salvation as he's offered in the gospel? Okay, a few things to consider. 
There's a lot, a lot here, obviously. This, this vow is just simply saying your only hope as a sinner is in Jesus. It's not in your hard work. It's not in uh, how authentic you are. Uh, it's not in you being happy. It's in Jesus. And that Jesus being God and man, fully God and fully man, which is a mystery, those things are equally important. It says here that Lord Jesus Christ the Son of God, the Savior of sinners. Uh, those things are necessary. We're called Christ the King as a church because that name encapsulates all this about Jesus, that he is the Messiah, a man who has come, but he is also God. He's the King of all. He's the Lord of all. That he's our Savior, but also our Lord. Both those things are incredibly important. And our, our desire as a church is to communicate to the world that the best thing for them is to have a king, is to submit, is for your heart to uh, be reigned and ruled by Jesus. Um, and our hope for true life is found in only resting, I like the language here, of receiving and resting upon Jesus. You hear that? Receiving and resting upon Jesus, that he is our hope in the world. Um, that's the idea of abiding that we talk about all the time, receiving and resting. <laughs> There's a place in the, I think I've, I've said this several times to you, but I, I just find it so helpful. Um, there's a place in the scriptures where the disciples come to Jesus and they say, what, was, what must we do to do the will of God? Tell us how we can know what God wants us to do with our lives. And he says, this is the will of God that you believe in the one whom he has sent. In other words, the way you do the will of God is to rest in this one he has sent, is to rest in Jesus' work. Not that you do good things so that God will look at you and say, ah, you're a great person, I'm glad you're in my kingdom. No, it's that uh, you trust in the one who has really, truly lived a righteous life, and you cling to him. So a couple of implications, and then we're going to pray. Um, one implication is that the church's mission is to make disciples by sharing the good news to help sinners receive and rest in Jesus alone. All of our worship and work is to keep this central. So, here's the thing. Churches can easily devolve into country clubs, just social get-togethers and hangouts. They can become charities or ways to serve the community, which is not a bad thing, right? But our business, if this vow is true, our business, first and foremost, is to make Jesus famous. And for people to look at him and say, the place I need to rest is in him. And so he has to be at the center of our worship services, of our small groups, of our get-togethers. That, that's where the center has to be. We have to keep that there first and foremost, what we did. Um, and then secondly, the church must understand, resist, and subvert other gospel narratives and idols as we encounter them. I'm going to plant this seed, and then I'm going to leave it for you to think about, Okay. But um, being a disciple of Jesus means that what? You're following him, right? You're watching what he does and you're doing it. Uh, you're, you're learning from him. You're, you're resting in him, right? And if you're not doing that with Jesus, you're doing it with something. You're being discipled by something all the time, okay? It could be your Instagram feed? Are you being discipled by your Instagram feed? Is it telling you how to dress and look and walk and talk and believe? Is it telling you how to do those things? All right? 
Something is discipling you. And our call as believers is not just to follow Jesus, which obviously is the right thing to follow, but it's to think well about the other things that we're tempted to follow and subvert them, to show the world that they don't really give us what we want, right? That only Jesus is the place where we will find those things. And so one of the implications of this vow, of Jesus being the only place where we can truly find salvation, is that we communicate that to the world when we look at them trying to find it in other places, right? An example of this, you know, there are lots of these narratives. Some of these narratives are, um, you know, you should be free to do whatever you want as long as you don't hurt anyone, right? Or like we've talked about before, I. The most important thing for you in your life is to be happy, right? And that just flies in the face of what it means to... You're following your own happiness in that regard. You're following your own ability to do what you want to do in those regards. And we know where those places end up, right? Okay, Um, I'm going to stop there. Um, Do you guys have questions about these two vows or anything that I've talked about briefly today? Anyone? Okay. All right. Well, consider them. Pray through them. My, my hope is that you will just continue to work through these things as we move toward launching and becoming members here. Uh, I want to take a few minutes and to break up and pray uh, in groups. Uh, I'm giving you three things to pray about in regards to what we've learned about today. One is uh, that we will take seriously our call to connect others to Jesus. Uh, it's not just about you connecting with Jesus, but it's about other people doing so as well. Two, that you will take seriously your call to abide in Jesus regularly each day. And three, that we will all grow in our love for Jesus as we recall our sin, in particular, and his mercy. So I'm going to pray for you, and then I'm going to let you split up into groups, and you can pray as you like, and then we'll be done. Okay? Let's pray together. Uh, Father, uh, we are grateful uh, for the men who wrote these vows. And we pray that they would animate us, captivate us as we think about our sin, our need for you, um, our need for forgiveness, our need for reconciliation with you. We pray that we'd be right with you. We know when we don't feel that way, and we want to be that way. So please, Father, help us to reconcile with you. And we pray also, Lord, thanking you so much for Jesus, uh, the atonement for our sin, uh, the, the God-man who sacrificed himself that we may know you. Um, We pray that we would lift him high and make him famous in our work. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.